part two of our conversation with Glenn Chin about brand and partnership building. He guided us through the key differences between the organizations he had experienced at EA Sports and Nike, his other roles and responsibilities within the sports brand, and the amazing opportunities it afforded him. He also talked about his passion for the gaming space and his latest venture. Let's get to it. Yeah, I mean, I think the difference between the two organizations, you know, while they're both global, the number of products that, again, you know, similar to Apple to Nike, you know, Nike has lots of different divisions, you know, I don't even really know how many employees there are, probably 50,000 employees, probably half of that when I was there. But I say that because it's uh, a lot of functional experts, right? So maybe at EA, my colleagues and I were able to kind of go back and forth between the brand side, marketing, advertising, and then over to the product side to help you know, mold and inform the product. At Nike, there's like clear definition, you know, at least in my experience between, you know, product, sports marketing, even lifestyle marketing, like there's whole divisions. So the partnerships, you know, probably, you know, will really get consummated through, you know, a business affairs combined with, um, you know, brand people combined with, product folks so it's a lot more challenging I think there because you know there's so many layers and then you know regionally you know you'll have partnerships that are just you know within region as as you well know and, and actually and, and, and to fast forward a little bit into into your experience in Nike after Nike plus then you move to to basketball right but it's actually yes. an important pivotal moment in the in in basketball globally and especially in terms of US basketball because if I'm not uh, mis misreading the the timing so you enter into Nike plus 0506 so then you move probably towards ba the back end of 0607 towards basketball but that's you know the gear up for the olympics in a way in beijing so what that meant exactly for Nike basketball and the current stars that the, the U.S. basketball team, team had. So that was a moment, right? Yeah, that was a moment. I, the, the company as a whole, um, to your point, moved to a category offense. The company was driven by different divisions at that time, footwear, apparel, equipment. They weren't always lined up by category. So Mark Parker and Trevor and the team said, we're going to move to a category offense and we're going to identify seven categories that are going to drive the bulk of the revenue for the company. One of them is the crown. One of the crown jewels is Nike basketball, you know, which I mentioned previously is a passion of mine, you know, forever. So yeah, like, okay, Glenn, here's a, you're going to run Nike basketball, you know, don't F it up. <laughs> right because <laughs> because it has so much heritage and of course right so it is it is a really uh pivot, pivotal time looking back at it now right so there there really hadn't been a a big performance footwear breakthrough um 
previous to that, I mean, obviously there's a long line of great Nike footwear, but I remember at the time is, you know, there was, you know, some questions like, Hey, we needed a breakthrough product, you know, the product, you know, needs to be better. Um, and part of that Olympic year, 2008, one of the lead shoes was the Hyperdunk. Um, and it used the technology that Nike had been developing in the, in the kitchen, which is like the innovation lab. And it used uh, a technology called Flywire. And so it launched in the Hyperdunk and track and field um, footwear. So it was a big deal for the company. And then to your point about basketball, you know, at that time, there, there was almost kind of where we are right now with USA Basketball. Like, they're not winning, right? And at yeah. that time in 2008, the previous Olympics and World Championships, they didn't win. So yeah. there was a calling. And, you know, I was able to see Nike's influence in this, that um, the Redeem team was put together, right? And uh, brought them, you know, together, uh, put a big campaign around the Redeem team, big docu-series, brought them to New York for a big, you know, weekend of publicity and sent them off to, to Beijing and, you know, the rest is history. You know, it was, they won, but as you remember, they could have easily lost. They could have easily lost to Spain, right? Um, it was a tough game, yeah. It was a tough yeah. game. So, oh, I mean, Spain, yeah, that, that was, when Spain uh, came, came into those Olympics as world champions. Uh, uh, and actually, uh, it's, it, for people that don't know, I mean, the, those were very dark years for, for, you know, U.S. basketball in general. And I would say that in adjacency to the NBA, uh, let's say, establishment, because they come from, I, I believe, they win in Sydney, right, in, in 2000, which that monster, I mean, I remember just the monster dunk of, of uh, Vince Carter over the, the, the French center. Yes, Frederick, Frederick Weiss. Frederick Weiss. Yeah. Weiss. yeah. Uh, then comes the, the, world, the world championship, as it was called back then, in the U.S., uh -huh. in Indianapolis, right, and they, and they don't win. Uh, I think they, they, they ended up uh, winning bronze there. Then it comes the 04 Olympics in Athens, uh, in which uh, actually Argentina wins the gold. And, and right. most notably, no, noticeably for especially people in the Caribbean, the U.S. team lost to Puerto Rico. In the, On in the, the first game. game. Yeah. So, yep. which, which you know, that, that what is the political background that is there and, the, you know, great players. I mean, Carlos Arroyo, that's the point guard I'll have in, in all my teams, even though I hated him when he faced right. Dominican, but I digress. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, the World, the world Championship again in, in Japan, in which uh, Spain wins the, the gold. So, actually, the pressure, and I remember the pressure that was mounting towards the, the Beijing Olympics was basically... Uh, about world dominance in terms of world basketball, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, if 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 uh, the Steve Jobs moment was kind of a business groupy moment, you know, one memorable moment for me was addressing the 2008 Olympic team in New York before they went to Beijing, 
and we had built out a three-month kind of installation in Harlem that, you know, was probably, I don't know, 4,000 square feet, uh, and it showed all the history of all the Olympic teams, um, and then we brought the 2008 Redeem team there to present them their uniforms and footwear, and, you know, being the basketball guy, I was in charge of, like, hey, go say something to the team, which, you know, which is kind of crazy and surreal, right? You know, because it's just me. And it's, it's <laughs> like, it's Coach K and, you know, Jason Kidd and Kobe and LeBron and Carlos Boozer. And, and the interesting thing about that is, like, I knew everybody on the team from previous relationships at EA and at Nike. I didn't know Michael Red, if you remember, he was on the team. But, you know, addressing them and letting them know that when they go to China, there's, gonna, there's an opportunity to change a whole generation of players in a continent the same way that the original Dream Team did in 1992 in Europe, right? To, to think about all those, all those countries and teams that, you know, wouldn't be too many years later they were beating up on the U.S., right? To go to China and try to inspire a whole generation um, was pretty special too. There are two instances there or two uh, spaces other than that that I want to for you to elaborate a little bit more of, of your stint in Nike basketball and on one side is much related to what we are trying to convey here in terms of brand partnerships and how you identify which are let's say, the endorsers that the brand or, or the division needs in terms of positioning. I mean, we know that some of that part in, in sports marketing is about strategic blocking of other brands to be able to capture market share. But Nike is in a position which is about excelling and, and actually building another floor on top of the, the let's say, the dominance building, right? And, mm -hmm. and, and uh, we talk talk uh, about it uh, actually when when I was visiting you in Portland a few uh, a couple of years ago about your role in 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 some of the recruitment processes to actually lure you know up and coming stars NCAA stars that were coming into the league uh, towards the brand. Yeah, sure. That was uh, you know if 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 I mentioned those two moments that were kind of euphoric highs of meeting Steve Jobs, pitching him, and then, you know, speaking to the Olympic team, you know, going through the process of um, pitching athletes to be part of the Nike family, I was able to be part of the pitch that secured Kevin Durant. So that was a big deal, three-day pitch on campus, um, you know, changing banners out on campus. So you roll into Nike, there's Kevin Durant. I wrapped the fitness building that used to be the Lance Armstrong building and Kevin Durant. I mean, the whole building was just wrapped, you know, to having, you know, 500 people walking around with KD t-shirts, right? So that was kind of a, a surreal time to pitch. And I remember the sports marketing guy saying, hey, look, you know, you know, their insights, you know, are like no other folks because they're spending time with the athletes all the time. They're spending time in the basketball scene from a very early age. And I remember them saying like, hey, these are the guys that we're going to go after 
Kevin Durant, Greg Oden, and you know Kevin Durant's going to be a once in a generation uh, player, right? So, um, you know, like I said, three day well crafted presentation. My first big pitch uh, at Nike. Um, so yeah, we were able to secure him, and you know, kind of the rest is history. You know, literally as I as I sit in in uh, my office. Um, I'm looking at the the pitch book that um, we we presented uh, um, Kevin Durant. So there's there's actually two of these. One's here, and he has the other one. And lit and you know there's photos of this is these are photos of the actual pitch that I just put into a coffee table book that you know. This is the pitch. Nike tells great stories. You know, we, you know, we do. You know, we've worked with Tiger. We tell his story. We talked about Little Penny back in the day. You know, we tell stories about Lance. You know, we talk about you know, Ronaldinho, you know, Ronaldinho, and Cherry Henry. And it was basically like, hey, do you want to be part of this family? Right? We do innovation with Nike Plus. Um, and then you guys will find this really interesting is like, I close the presentation with, you know what, this is what your, this is what your career is going to be. And who do you want to tell those stories? Cause these things are going to happen. It's just a matter of when, right? So it's interesting to look at this book 15 years later to be like, Okay, there's young KD. Oh, like here's the building that I wrapped, right, on campus. Yeah. So, yeah, it was, uh, you know, great, great experience again to the pits, you know, um, him. And, of course, you know, you look in the back of the room and the president, you know, Charlie Denson's in the back and Bill Knight's in the back and, you know, his family's in the front row and yeah, it was, you know, a lot of pressure for sure. Um, and you know, something that I, that I learned a lot from. No, but it goes, it goes to show actually that, that if, if anyone approaches the partnership building, uh, as a transactional thing is, is missing the whole point because in the end, the way you can convey and you say you were with you for the, you know, for the long haul. I mean, this is yes. just a start. And actually, I, I see you as a rookie of the year, as a NBA's final, NBA is a champion, world champion, MVP, and all that. And every, all of that he has accomplished and much more. And the brand is still there with him. That's that's the fiber of, of what you, you can build as a partnership. And you need to have that vision. I mean, it, it, you know, the, the economics is one part of it, and, and, and that's another part of the deal making. But in terms of brand, uh, brand marketing and, and, and brand partnership process is, is, is very important to actually to have that, that fit that is not just based on some demos or some, uh, you know, areas, geographical areas and sales driven uh, insight. It's, it's about the people that, that comprise that, that, that brand partnership. And actually, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, yeah. it's an amazing process. I mean, I've, I've seen that, that book at your, at your home and, important and it's amazing i mean the way 
because all of that is based on great insight and 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 what you know history and experience tells at that level in terms of those that guy uh if healthy and if centered in his craft he will accomplish that no, no question and this is how the brand will you know uh, be be along the ride with you so yeah, yeah. and actually one 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 other topic uh, I, I think at that time also it's when you stumble upon the yearly right yeah absolutely absolutely when i when i was working uh nike basketball you know i i was uh running global brand so basically i'd work with the creative director to create all the seasonal stories you know every quarter you know 18 months out and and really like that those stories get cascaded you know to the territories to the countries to the cities and so I was able to, you know, look and see, um, you know, the executions around the world from all the Nike offices and, you know, seeing, you know, the great uh, executions, say, in, uh, you know, Maccabi Tel Aviv and seeing like tournaments on skyscraper rooftops and, uh, you know, how everything played out in different countries. Um, and then, of course, the EuroLeague, you know, came into play, uh, you know, with, with partners like Susan, you know, uh, over in Europe, who she's fantastic. And, um, you know, the shout, legend. Shout, shout, to, shout to Susan. I mean, she, this, yeah. this latest class, I mean, they rocked the league, basically. All Europe, oh, yeah. all, all, all everything, basically. Yeah, absolutely. And the insights of the international game, you know, I was lucky and fortunate to share an office wall with the legendary uh, coach, George Raveling. And he was, he was so instrumental in, in, uh, you know, my time at Nike and he's so influential in the global game that he, uh, you know, we, we would spend mornings, you know, over coffee, just talking about basketball, not even necessarily about work, but, you know, of course, work was basketball, but just, just about basketball and gosh, what a great man. But he was, you know, he's very close with Susan as well and, and the Nike folks in Europe. So he was a big advocate for the EuroLeague. Yeah, it was a, it's a great time. I mean, for, for the listeners that don't know, the for a for a greater part of this history of this history and story of the year league nike was uh the apparel partner the official ball game ball and and actually the founder of the what was called then the junior tournament which actually was the breeding ground for you know most of the of the global basketball european basketball stars that you see now shining in europe and and the us uh from the period from seven until I think 2013 or something like that around six years and actually uh, you know it was great I mean I've seen great ex executions back in the day in Paris at the final four in 2010 with Ricky Rubio uh, which was a Nike athlete at, at the time and you know the rising star in Europe and so on and it, and you know what one thing that you learn when, when you get exposed to all of that is that if anything, Nike is consistent in brand management and brand storytelling. 
And and mm-hmm. and to your yes. point, to, your, to yes. what you were saying before, I mean, yeah, you you have a global strategy, and then you have that translation of how that strategy impacts each market, but you see the consistency there of 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 that approach, and and that's actually you know, it's it's marketing done on an A plus level. Yeah, it's amazing. It, it was it would be amazing. We would go on quarterly. Um, off sites and some region in the world, right? So, you know, we went to Hong Kong and, you know, obviously we go to Paris and um, we went to Germany. We went, and I remember going to Buenos Aires. It was my first time going to South America and seeing, to your point, you know, the strategy and the layouts for Nike basketball that you know were done in conference rooms next to my office like executed to the t in argentina but with local flavor with local players you know obviously you know in in different languages as well but the consistency that nike executes but puts a spin so it can be locally kind of owned so to speak is amazing Because it's very hard to coordinate all those things, you know, and have it execute. It's there's obviously so many talented folks there. Yeah, definitely, definitely, and actually, props to to Nike and other global companies that actually are able to operate in that at that scale and and local relevancy. So after after your your glorious term, because you cannot label it any any different uh, at, at Nike, you go back to EA. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. Went back to EA. Um, you know, decided that we weren't necessarily going to be an expat family, right? In this global brand group, and you know, move every two years. We, you know, we fell in love with Portland, and we decided, you know, not to be a family that would move every two years. So, the ex-president of EA came back as a CEO. Um, you know called me one day, asked me where, where I went. I told him I was at Nike. Uh, and so I went back for a couple years, just went back for a couple years, um, which was fine. It was great. Um, met a lot of great folks actually during that time, you know, we met, which was cool. Um, you know, we, I, I, uh, I had a 10 day trip to Europe, you know, to do have a bunch of meetings and I had a free weekend and I wanted to go watch Ricky Rubio play, as you mentioned before, and he was playing with Barcelona. So uh, our friend and colleague Pepe brought uh, me to the game against Real Madrid. And yeah. I, had a, I had a glorious 30 hours in Barcelona. And I think it was up for 28. <laughs> yeah, we, we we won't get in those details, but but definitely definitely was an intense and, and productive trip. And uh, at that time, Ricky had come to FC Barcelona from from another uh, club across town, and they basically were having an almost perfect season. Actually, they ended up winning the 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 final four, the early final four in in, in Paris in in May 2010. And uh, and yeah, we, we met at that time. And actually, the first contract uh, that, that was the, the time I was entering the Euroleague as well 
the first contract mm -hmm. I had to to handle and figure out because we had some issues that I'll just explain was the EA contract. And the first video game contract that yearly had was with EA and was in greater part thanks to you and, and, and to your role at EA at the time. Um, and and it was so it was supposed to be, you know, kind of one of the cool additions to the NBA Live franchise in the new relaunch mm -hmm. of what live was envisioned to be it was great fun and i remember that you know the, the game had some some things and, and the launch had to be postponed but the guys at ea came back to to us with an alternative which i found it amazing you know amazingly uh, gratifying which was that in the meantime let's have yearly teams on nba jam which uh, Luis knows that. I mean, was my favorite game growing up, and was the relaunch yeah. of uh, uh, NBA Jam, which, which was labeled On Fire Edition that year. Yeah, and Kevin Durant was on. Kevin Durant was on the cover. Yeah, he was the cover of the game, and we did a a, a very you know uh, compressed development period in which we had like because we what we decided is that then we'll focus on the four teams of the Final Four. Obviously, you don't know that until the very end. So we developed like ten teams. Two, four players per team and so on. And it ended, ended up being something. And this, Luis and I talked in a previous episode, served as the platform in which actually, also with your help, we built what ultimately came to be the deal with 2K. Because we yeah. kind of demonstrated right. to that jam integration that, you know, the year league had a place in, in, in a global basketball franchise. And, and out of that, the process with 2K and the four years of partnership that, that they had actually came about. So great, because we want to hold you much more than needed, but I, I think it's very important to go into your, your, your post EA and, and post Nike stint, because I think it's where the most interesting part of that vision that you have very clearly in terms of how to build brand partnerships and do brand marketing. So it's about you, you went uh, through a stint with, with Pandora in terms of national strategic partnerships. You also kind of reconnected back to, to your, your true passion, which is video games and, and gaming. And you are still there as an advisor and, and, and investor in, in ReadyUp, which, I mean, I'll let you introduce that because I think that it's a great story there. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll fly by Pandora. I mean, Pandora was a great experience for me. You know, it was pre-IPO. Um, so leaving post-IPO was nice. It was great. But I, but I learned a lot because they didn't have a brand group they really didn't have a marketing group so it was very much a sales organization which i'm not necessarily a, a sales oriented professional but you know they brought me in to build partnerships as i would have liked to see them as a brand person on the client side so you know that was a great experience did it for a year and then you know transferred over to doing a lot of things in sports and tech esports through my own consultancy agency called most prolific um and that's where you know i've been able to kind of touch a lot of uh great startups uh one of them being ready up um you know it started out with the vision of being linkedin meets you know match.com for gamers where you could meet new people 
you could compete, you could be discovered. Um, that was a great experience to kind of learn the fundraising and the VC world a bit. The company has since pivoted to basically, um, you know, a B2B type of company, uh, showcasing events. So, so a lot of the vision that, that we originally had didn't pan out, but even that is just a, a great learning experience um, and got me, you know, really back in the gaming and that esports world. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And through through most prolific, I mean, we've been doing some different projects together. So you are part of the consultant core of Euroleague still today. You you were involved in not in, in player recruiting, but from a different perspective, not necessarily a brand, but actually a team, an NBA team. And you actually have been very active in developing different platforms within the esports area, not only in terms of, of that, you know, tech company ready up, but actually developing a team or the or the branding or the the productization of one of the most uh, prolific and up and coming gamers in the US as well. And you also have a have a partnership, right? That it's with Revival House, right? In terms of mixing all all of that lifestyle, culture, sports, esports areas into one very fertile and, and, and productive space at different levels, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, that the cross-pollination of, of uh, video games, um, culture being music, fashion, um, and then, you know, uh, traditional sports, and gaming, you know, they all collide together. I mean, we, we started off this conversation talking about what we did in the early 90s. And, you know, those things still happen today. You know, I think even more so, I think, you know, sometimes brands just look at people in one vertical. Like, oh, he likes basketball. He's a basketball player. Oh, he likes music. He likes music. Or he likes games. Or she likes games. And that's all they are. But as we know that in the real world people have multiple verticals that make them who they are right so it's not just one thing and and, and you know you start to see that now with you know unfortunately we're in this global pandemic but you know if you're stuck at home and you're a young person or just someone who likes games and sports your options are to play games and you see you're seeing now the Ben Simmons the Darren Foxes, the Luka Doncic's, they play video games with their fans and they don't have to be next to them on their couch. They can interact with their, their fans and engage with them through games. Um, so yeah, connecting all those things is what we've been doing at most prolific and, and the revival house. Um, and it's been fantastic. And I think we'll continue to build on that. It's, it's uh, it's not definitely not a trend. Um, it's it's just continuing to getting bigger and better. Definitely, I, I I want you to to take us a couple of minutes to to your work with the uh, dual stuff. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So about two years ago, um, two years ago, I was asked to help uh, PlayStation Esports launch from a, a great guy. His name is uh, Steven Roberts. He runs esports for Sony PlayStation. 
um, and he's a board member at Ready Up. And so he asked me to come in and help them kind of kickstart kind of their positioning. And what happened was uh, we, we designed and built a, a esports stadium, so to speak, and we launched it at Paris Games Week. Um, and this is 2018. And then he had asked me, hey, do you have any other ideas? And of course, you know, that's what we do, right? We have lots of ideas. So I had said, I do. I have an idea about a web series showcasing esports athletes. Like all these esports athletes, people hear about them, but they really don't know them. So my inspiration was HBO's Hard Knocks, which shows football uh, in the summertime. And then I love 24 7 because you know, I'm a big boxing fan and it showcases who the athletes are. So we pitched that. He came back and said, hey, Fox, Fox bought it. Uh, the good news is they bought it. The challenging news is they went four primetime specials, um, a docuseries. So, you know, truth be told, I'd never done that before, but, you know, I'd done a bunch of commercial work. So I grabbed my, my friend, Jeff Odiorn. We created a four-part docuseries, and we found a, a great high school senior at the time he was 18 years old his name Cormac Dooley brought him to Paris to compete in Paris Games Week a big FIFA tournament um, you know rented a mansion for a week and quote trained him with sparring partners and a chef and a trainer so it was great fun to make that show and in that process got to know the family and Cormac um, he was about to go to college deciding if he was going to play division one soccer and at the same time trying to balance how he was going to pay for the full tuition. And we were able to um, quote transfer him to the new Nashville soccer club, the expansion team and their CEO was ex Liverpool CEO. So he bought into the idea we brought the best player in the MLS because Cormac went on to win the EMLS Cup. And we brought him to Nashville. And they, they said they would pay for his college tuition for his freshman year. So that was incredible. That was, you know, we signed him at 12.01 just for the fun of it, just because, you know, <laughs> that's how the NBA superstars do it. So, again, following that, that line and that narrative, that's how we could tell the story is, look, they, they committed to Nashville to bring a championship franchise, and it started in esports. It's a great story. It's a, another testament to, to great brand partnerships building. And, and, and in closing, I, and I, I want you to, to take us through your latest venture, which is uh, as new as uh, last month, Global yes. Gaming United. Yes. So I started a company called... Global Gaming United or GGU. And really, when you think about the landscape of esports right now, you know, we all see and hear, you know, multi million dollar prize purses, big streaming rights, professional owners buying into esports clubs. But the market is, is huge. And what we're seeing right now is just the very tip of it. So kind of related to basketball, since we've been talking about basketball, right? What we see now is just the top tier leagues. 
you know, the NBA of esports, the EuroLeague of esports. But what's missing is a true path to pros. So there's not necessarily a high school, college pro, um, you know, direct path. Those things do exist. The, the market's really fragmented. So we thought, hey, let's go to, go to the masses and provide an on-ramp for people's esports dreams, right? The same way we had all, we had dreams of, you know, traditional sports going to the very top level and there was somewhat of a clear path. We're trying to create that path. So our first foray into that is a League of Legends North American Development League called Challengers Uprising. So you can go to challengersuprising.gg and yeah, we just launched a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, what we're trying to do is, you know, uh, build a great North American development league. Because similar to that discussion we had about basketball in the Olympics, North America is getting crushed in this global League of Legends uh, world competition, you know, by the Koreans and other countries in Asia and countries in Europe because they do have a more structured development league. So you see a lot of influences from traditional sports coming into esports. And so that's what, that's what we're trying to do and provide, uh, you know, for the players in North America. And, you know, our vision is, you know, right now it's working with Riot Games and League of Legends, which, you know, over 120 million people play that game globally. Um, and, you know, our vision is to kind of provide that, that path for all games, all platforms. So we're just starting off and, you know, we're really excited about it. Yeah, it looks, looks really good, man. It looks really good. And yeah, it's, it's uh, not a trend. It's here to stay. It's finding a way to make it uh, sustainable and, and even more inclusive. I mean, because that's what, what will make of the brand partnerships exercise around esports actually be able to stick. There's there's a lot of saying that you know there are a lot of non-endemic brands that are trying to jump in uh, into the bandwagon of, of esports, but they don't know you know how to do it correctly. They get burned, uh, and it's there's no consistency there. But I think that with, with this type of initiatives is is how you are able to to, to develop that and. You know, as, as with any competitive landscape, which is what catches eyeballs, I mean, the development of, of the talent funnel is essential. Mm -hmm. uh, you, need, you need to be able to create the LeBrons of other sports, including esports, and be able to market them so, so it actually hits mainstream. So, Glenn, uh, I mean, uh, we could be speaking here for hours. I mean, I think we've had different conversations, uh, I think, in LA, in Portland, here in Barcelona. Every now and then we we hop out. I mean, we we're not new into this uh, Zoom, Skype thing. I mean, it's uh, for us it's a, a way of doing things with you in the West Coast, us here in Europe. Uh, yeah. But I, I want to really thank you for for making the time to to come in and in this experiment that Luis and I uh, have been doing and and be the, our first guest, uh, our guest of honor. I think you are. Uh, as of now, officially, you are the ambassador of, of the Intersections podcast. So you are the godfather of, of this initiative. And uh, as always, I mean, you, you just 
speak gems and we are just trying to collect them and, and be able to learn from you. I second that. I have to uh, thank you very much for, for your time in your morning. And um, it, it was a delight just to hear your stories. So, um, and it's great learning experience. So thank you very much for that. Absolutely. Can't wait to see you guys. And, and being the first, it can only get better from here. Thank you, Glenn, for your time and insightful stories from your experiences with some of the most revolutionary brands and companies out there. Your perspective and insight, as always, are true gems. To find out more about Glenn and Most Prolific, follow him on Twitter at Most Prolific. If you enjoy this episode, leave us a review and share it with a friend. As always, Intersections is a podcast by The Connect. The Connect is Ray de Luis Baez. Thank you for listening. Until the next one.